Hello and welcome to WMQ&A, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. And welcome to our Spring Three Amigos special. Rob Lynch is back in the saddle to eat peeps and talk smack with me and Matt Lazowitz about our favorite comic book resurrections. There's some goofy ones, some touching ones, even one that's not about a character so much as an entire comics universe. But it is always a good time, I promise you. In the meantime, guys, I have news. Uh, I've mentioned in recent intros that Matt and I are going to be at Camden Comic Con April 27th talking with Jerry Conway. Well, it turns out that's a half-truth. Matt and I are going to be at Camden, and we are going to be hosting a Q&A panel with Jerry Conway. Uh, but we're also going to be talking with uh, G.I. Joe writer extraordinaire Larry Hama, and New Mutants and X-Factor and Power Pack writer Louis Simonson, and Thor writer Walt Simonson, on the same panel. Uh, it just became official this past weekend, and we are super excited. That is a crazy amount of talent, and uh, we cannot wait to share that audio with you listeners. And hopefully those of you who live in and around South Jersey, Philadelphia, will consider coming out to see the show. It's a free con. Uh, there's food trucks. The Arch Alley has amazing talent, so you really have nothing to lose. Uh, meanwhile, what is going on over at WMQComics.com? Uh, Matt went to the new Marvel exhibit at the Franklin Institute in Philly on Friday and wrote about that. Uh, based on his description and the pictures, I cannot wait to take my son there. Uh, we've also got an embarrassment of reviews up on the site. Uh, Joshua Burbot looks at Brian Azzarello and Maria Lovett's Faithless Number 1. Trent Seeley writes about Rob Liefeld's Major X Number 1. And Charlie Davis writes about X-Force Number 6 and how the current arc is sorely lacking in um, X-Force. And Will Nevin, that's right, we found Will, uh, not his brother Bill, chats with artist David Mack about his covers for Dark Horse's Fight Club 3. And uh, we got an exclusive first peek at the covers for issue number 7 of that series. Uh, these are all very good reasons to visit WMQComics.com and to sign up for the weekly Q newsletter, which collects all our original goodies in one place. And you can do that right after you listen to me and Matt and Rob. Well, it's Easter. Love is in the air. We've hung the tree, and we got the fireworks all set up to launch. Uh, we joked about it on our Valentine's Day episode, but uh, the three amigos ride once again to talk about our favorite comic book resurrections for Easter. <laughs> So uh, let's roll the stone aside and start this party. Who wants to go first? Well, I just want to say that, you know, when I was joking about it, I really was joking. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start out with this. I mean, I only have joke ones today for the most part. <laughs> I, I think just like, you know, a lot of other people, you know, the whole idea of, you know, comic book deaths as being something to be taken seriously and gravely and everything mm-hmm. is really a joke. I mean, sometimes dead is better. <laughs> so, I mean, really, kids, today I'm here to eat peeps and talk shit. Again, you didn't provide us any peeps today. No, but you brought pizza, which I appreciate. There we go. <laughs> it's sacrilegious. <laughs> oh, man. Well, do you do you want to go first? What are you uh, bring all to you. I'm going to bounce off of you guys. All right. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I've got mine written down right here in front of me. Uh, I'm going to start with a fresh return. Um because that's how my memory works anymore. But, um, you know, let, let's, let's start with the world of the X-Men. With the uh, return that uh, almost everyone demanded based on Twitter, uh, basically. <laughs> but uh, this one is full of time paradoxes, philosophical paradoxes, and just plain old good old-fashioned uh, GCN, glorious comics nonsense. 
Uh, let's talk about Cyclops. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, the uh, the internet's favorite lowercase m X Man was uh, dead as a doornail. Uh, caught M pox and died in 2016. Kind of a victim of Marvel's attempt to make the Inhumans fetch. But uh... <laughs> stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> Uh, I, I I think Marvel finally learned its lesson. But this they one. couldn't even kill them off. <laughs> the death of the angel. I'm not going to spoil that for anybody. But... Well, I mean, that was, yeah. Don't mm. believe the title. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. But then uh, the recently introduced teenage version of Cyclops' son from the future stuck a piece of the Phoenix Force in a Ghostbusters trap some nerd from the Silver Age built and uh, used it to jumpstart his dad's heart because Kid Cable... Uh, for all his bluster about wanting to protect the timeline, is really just uh, a continuity, uh, a fan stand-in who just wants to make the comics right. And stab everybody's eyes. Yes. <laughs> uh, even if it means loopering the older version of himself to do it. Uh, so now Cyclops is back, and Wolverine is back, uh, which I don't think counts as a resurrection because he just kind of busted through his own candy shell yeah that was one of these ones where i don't think he was as, as much as marvel wanted us to believe he was dead i think he was always just sort of hibernating do wolverines hibernate i don't think he, so he entered the logan version of the odin sleep <laughs> yeah he goes through various spaces of relevancy i'll say yeah, but yeah, yeah. That's, that's more of a meta thing by the way since we already started out with you know earning our uh, explicit rating um <laughs> I've always wondered, does Odin put that prefix in front of everything? When he awakens from the Odin sleep, he's like, now I must go and take a most righteous Odin piss. Well, he has to wait until the Odin boner goes down first. <laughs> yeah. Odin wood. And that thing is mighty as Milner. <laughs> I've got Yggdrasil in my pants. Um, I will say, or is though, he just happy to see you? All right, I promised I was going to talk shit, and this is only like half a shit, but... I think there's only really one true great Wolverine resurrection. And this is something I mentioned to you. Is this going to be the drop of blood thing? This is the drop of blood from, it was annual 11, I believe from 1987. Um, this is like when Art Adams kind of stopped hanging out and it was like, they brought in uh, Alan Davis. Uh-huh. And this was like sort of the preface to Excalibur. You have Captain Britain coming to hang out with his, you know, his sister, who's a new X-Man. And there's all this nonsense about uh, a villain, which I don't think we've seen before or since called the Horde. And some kind of mystical quest that he sends the X Men on. Well, basically, the guy who fights Shira. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, that's Hordak. Ah, yes. <laughs> is, it, is it sad that we just said that at the same time? Well, you know, we are old. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's it's something involving some kind of like mystical crystal, which was not the Macron. Um, but you know, Wolverine gets skewered pretty bad, pretty mortally. I mean, and he, he's dead, and a drop of blood falls on this crystal, and he completely regenerates from this single. Erythrocyte, and it's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and that was exceptional at that time. Now it's almost become this joke that Wolverine can bring himself back from anything. Yeah. That mattered. That was cool. Now it's just kind of like, oh, so Logan got sheared down to a skeleton again. Must be a Tuesday. That was Deadpool's shtick. That was the difference. The Deadpool regenerated, Logan healed, and somewhere along the way, that kind of has been forgotten. Wasn't there also a story where he actually went to hell, and but his body was replaced by a deep? That, that was like part of the Jason Aaron run. Right? Yeah, yeah. something it was hinted at um, way back in Civil War. That was, I think, where he actually got you know completely singed down to the bone. Was it Nitro who did it? Yes, yes, yeah. it was. They sent him after Nitro after Stamford. 
But I think he even says to himself, like, how did I come back from this? Like, completely forgetting anything that ever happened before. Mm-hmm. You know, I should be dead, and how am I not? And they kind of left that an open-ended mystery, I think. And that's where Jason Aaron picked that up, like, well, why is it? How is it he can come back from that? Mm-hmm. And, and it's that point. There was a point where Logan could be hurt. I mean, Age of Apocalypse, he loses a hand. It's he is missing a part of his body that does not grow back. That's a rule of cool thing, though. You're gonna mm. introduce an AU Wolverine with a stump, you know, with like a metal sleeve over it. It's like, oh, that's new. Interesting. I mean, I always have to bring up some kind of like Claremont plot that like never happened that was always intended, but you know, as back far back as you know the Australian saga, you know, when he was crucified and everything, he was kind of hinting that his healing power was be- you know becoming diminished, and he was going to kill him off. For a good while, he was going to have the hand. The hand was going to resurrect him. Yeah, similar to like what they did with Electra. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was going to be three hundred, mm-hmm. I think, or the run up to three hundred, yeah. because three hundred was supposed to be Xavier and Xavier's. Well, death? It, uh, the Shadow King was supposed to kill Xavier, right? right apparently, yeah. But Jim Lee needed him for stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and and I still kind of wish, as much of a debacle as Claremont's return was with the Neo and all that, mm-hmm. he was setting up a plot where Strife was going to take over the mansion and make it the Summers School and have various mind-controlled Summerses running the school under him. Well, like like another Strife and Cable's body story? Because Cable was on the team at the time. Yeah. No, I think it was supposed to be... He was going to run the X-Men out of the mansion and have Gene and some of the others who would either... Again, I don't remember the details. This is one of these weird little things I read somewhere and might be an urban legend. But it was, you know, the summer school and it would have been the X-Men on the run from Strife. And I don't know if Claremont even intended to bring Scott back since Claremont's been trying to get rid of Scott since... (laughs) If that was supposed to be the run-up to 400, this would have been trying to get rid of him for 200 issues. <laughs> yeah, had, like, you know, kind of like talking about our topic today, I mean, mm-hmm. around that time, I mean, there was quite a few notable deaths. I mean, Moira, which mm-hmm. is stuck, surprisingly. Yeah. Pyro, which is surprisingly stuck to this day. Kelly. Senator Kelly Senator died in the Kelly, same story. Right, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Colossus, which actually I'm going to come back to later without, without Snark, actually. But uh-huh. Um, yeah. But Cyclops. Yes, but Cyclops. Uh, yeah, so he's back. Wolverine is back. All the, um, But almost all the other X-Men are gone, and he's just angry and taking prisoners. And Well, Candy's pretty great right now. Uh, but I, I'm not going to send myself down that whole uh, we don't need Hickman argument. I've already done that. You've heard it. You've seen it. So let's move on. Matt, what you got? Okay, so I am starting off with my favorite Marvel Comics character of all time. This is Adam Warlock. Warlock's entire shtick is resurrection. Now granted, there are other comic book characters who do this too. There's Rachel Ghoul, there's Resurrection Man, there's Mr. Immortal, where their whole thing is they come back from the dead. And that is sort of Warlock's thing, but it feels like, being that this is an Easter episode, the guy who is glam space jesus is someone who we should be talking about because if you don't know warlock in the comics warlock is thanos's opposite number while thanos has had various 
arch rivals over the years, be it Captain Marvel, the original Marvel Captain Marvel, uh, Silver Surfer, the Avengers. Warlock is the guy who always sort of comes back as Thanos' sort of opposing force. Even when Thanos is a good guy, and yes, that does happen in Marvel Comics, um, Warlock is his ally or enemy who balances the cosmic scales. And Warlock dies and then gets kind of wrapped up in this like cosmic cocoon and then pops out of it. Uh, the first time this happens is actually pretty early on in his career, in between his first appearance in Fantastic Four and his th second appearance in Thor, he comes out of the cocoon. But the first time that it's really a big deal is at the end of the initial Warlock arc, which started in the Power of Warlock series. And as was the way in Marvel at the time, when a series was unsuccessful, it wound up getting wrapped up in another book. In this case, in The Incredible Hulk where Warlock gets crucified and comes back to save Counter-Earth. In the issues that were right before the introduction of Wolverine, that this these issues are, I believe, 176 to 178, leading into the Wendigo story that introduces Wolverine. So that's now, pretty good. Now, that's a hell of a now for something completely different. Oh, is it ever? <laughs> is it ever? Uh, but after that, Warlock's next major arc is the Jim Starlin arc, the arc that redefines Warlock and makes him into the character he is today, but is very much a story about death and resurrection and is this really dark story about depression and suicide because Warlock finds out that he is destined to become the Magus, this sort of intergalactic evil despot pope and so warlock realizes the only way to stop this is to travel into the future but not quite all the way into the future but just at the moment where he's about to become the magus and take his own life which is the most comic booky sort of death you can imagine because of the level of paradox involved it's kind of a reverse kid cable yeah, yeah. So, in the end, Warlock does this and winds up being absorbed into the Soul Gem, one of the Infinity Gems. They're not Infinity Stones yet. Give it another 30, 40 years and they'll be Infinity Stones. And 40,000 pounds of pressure. <laughs> Wait, no. It's the other way around. Something. Yeah, comics, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and after this, Warlock comes back from the dead to fight Thanos in the Infinity Gauntlet. Then he hangs around for a while and then dies again in weird nebulous stuff involving the Ultraverse that is best left not talked about. The Ultraverse did a lot of damage. Yeah. Was <laughs> like when Mal they like, yes. got the Malibu oh, yeah. characters? Yeah. Warlock fought Rune, the cosmic vampire, oh, that. for a while. And then Warlock disappears, as seems to be the way with Warlock, unless there's a really practical story-based application for him. He just sort of goes into that cocoon, and you kind of leave him aside. Like, Thanos you can do other stories with, with him as, you know, the world breaker. But Warlock's like, well, he doesn't really have Thanos to bounce off of. Or 
there anyone to be cryptic around, so let's just put him in the cocoon. This has become especially played with in the past few years with Warlock's most recent resurrection in Guardians of the Galaxy 150, mm-hmm. where here he teams up with Kang. Kang brings him back in time to ancient Egypt to show him something. And Kang's like, okay, you've, you've seen what you need to. Now we're just going to push you into this tomb and leave you here, and you'll come back in 2,000 years. Okay, great. So just go into your cocoon. And Warlock pops out of his cocoon. It's also been used for the first time, I really think, almost for laughs in Starlin's most recent Thanos OGN, the Infinity Conflict, where Warlock has come back from the dead and he and Thanos are involved in this whole convoluted thing in what is sort of the Starlin-verse. Like sort of Earth 616.5. It's really not in continuity, but Starlin tries to bring in as much of the current continuity as he can. Like the version of the Guardians in there are the current Guardians, Mm -hmm. even though Drax talks more like the Drax Starlin created back in the day. But so Thanos has now been contacted by a future version of Thanos and is now being controlled by said future version of Thanos. If this sounds something like the Thanos wins story from Donny Cates, yeah, there's Starlin wasn't too happy with that. And there's, there's a, a reason whole... Starlin left Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> but in this most recent volume, so Warlock's in his cocoon, he comes out, Pip the Troll shows up, he's like, hey Adam, you're back, great, now we gotta go stop Thanos. Hey, what's that? And something crashes out of space and crushes Warlock and he goes into the cocoon again. <laughs> and that happens three, I think three times over the course of this graphic novel, where Thanos is basically... Uh, the Roadrunner and Warlock is Wily e. Coyote because Thanos knows Warlock is the only one who can stop him. And Pip the Troll is still Space Danny DeVito. Yes. <laughs> yes. If you don't know who Pip the Troll is, look him up, kids. And this is after his stint in X Factor. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yes. Which, that's a character who, you know, Warlock at least shows up as headlined in comics and was hinted at at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Remember, everyone? I shall call him Adam. And Gamora and Drax and Thanos are all in the movies. And then there's Pip. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody remembers that Warlock, Thanos, and Gamora... Warlock, Pip, and Gamora were a trio for 30 years. And it's like, okay, we've got Rocket. We really don't need another short reprobate on this team. <laughs> but Warlock is a fascinating character and there's so much about him that is so wrapped up in the concept of resurrection that i had to bring him up in a podcast about resurrections how did you like to do a quick piggyback on that um some of my earliest marvel reading uh the, the official handbook from 86 mm-hmm. especially the book of the dead and i mean I, I a lot of you know what i know about like the backbone of the marvel universe i got from that and then from there you know filled everything else out but I remember being very fascinated by all the cosmic characters that were in the Book of the Dead, where you had Thanos and Drax and Pip and Gamora. And, like, when you really go back and read it, I mean, they really wiped out that entire line by the end of the 70s, and then later with Marvell with the cancer, they, you know, he had a dignified end. But it was almost like an editorial decision, like, okay, you know what, we're done with the cosmic stuff. Ironically, as Star Wars was coming out, you know, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, we're kind of done with this. I mean, the whole thing wrapped up, if you, and I'm sure you'll remember this, it was in two-in-one annual two. Oh, yeah. The Things, for all intents and purposes, his solo team-up book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of an oxy- uh, <laughs> 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 But, um, 
Yeah, the whole thing wrapped up there. Like, when you'd said, like, things would either start or end in, like, the least appropriate book where you would think. <laughs> but, you know, to come back on Resurrection, I mean, there, there was a real excitement, like, with me, and I know with a lot of other fans, you know, come 90, 91 in the Silver Surfer book, especially when Starlin came back to town, where he was bringing them all back when the Surfer was inside of, you know, the Soul Gem. And that's when he meets Adam and, you know, all of these characters. And, you know, they were all, it was a preface to the Infinity Gauntlet. And you had that wonderful body horror where, you know, they're all being basically resurrected oh, in other people's bodies. I mean, it was, it was a really cool time. It, it was nice to see, you know, these cool characters come back. And it's, you know, I think that kind of excitement about Resurrections is kind of really diminished now. But, you know, going back to that, like when you read like that 86, 87, you know, volume of the book of the dead it's amazing when you flip through how many characters at that time were dead and are, are like alive and kicking now it's like i mean uncle ben and gwen stacy are still dead that's actually another thing that i wanted to get into about you know the, the characters that you can say are canonically dead that are you know it's intrinsic to the story and the mythology of the characters that they're involved with that they're dead uncle ben's death Spider-Man is not Spider-Man without his uncle being dead. Arguably even later on with Gwen being dead. Mm -hmm. Thomas and Martha Wayne, at least the Earth Zero Thomas yeah. and Martha Wayne, need to stay dead. Yeah. And I know Dan's probably chomping at the bit because I, I think he knows what I'm about to say, but you do have this very short list of the characters you do not bring back. Mm -hmm. And those two... Along, I would say, with maybe like Thunderbird. Yeah, John Proudstar. Um, Egghead. <laughs> oh. And Bucky, interestingly. Wait, which Egghead? The TV Batman villain or the Ant-Man villain? <laughs> oh, the Ant-Man villain. The actual we saw in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp very yes. quickly. Michael Severus, formerly of the Bob Mould Band, was, was him. Yeah. And a noted stage actor. He yeah. has a lot of Broadway. A lot of Broadway. I love that diversions. <laughs> yeah. uh, he was actually in a play at the theater that I worked at for many, many years early in my time there. So before he was, you know, Michael Cerverus, he was yeah. in this really bizarre European German like expressionist play that title is completely eluding me, but it was weird. It was real weird. But you you know, you have these list of characters and it's just everything would be completely undone if you brought them back. But yet I guess I'll lead into you. I'll, I'll yeah, skip my no, turn that, here. That, that, that leads into me uh, perfectly. I do want to point out, point out that something I just kind of realized, because you're talking about the period when those cosmic characters had lain fallow, it kind of syncs up perfectly with when Marvel had the Star Wars license, because Marvel had the Star Wars license from 77 to roughly 85 before the Dark Horse. And then they started Star Trek. Uh, they, were, they spun out of Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, they had ROM. They had Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Um, Logan's run, I think it was a little bit earlier. I know they had a Thanos... Uh, talk about inappropriate yes. spots. They had a Thanos, <laughs> a Thanos backstory in an issue of Logan's run, of all things. Um, earlier in that, I mean, they had 2001 from Kirby that eventually rolled into Machine Man, of mm -hmm. all things. But, uh, okay. I can so, see. so Marvel actually had a little too much space. Most of it maybe, licensed. Maybe. But yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, so your point kind of dovetails into mine. Used to be, there were a few characters you couldn't bring back. We've listed a whole number of them, but one of them was... James Buchanan, Bucky Barnes. Uh, but then Ed Brubaker comes along in 2004 or so and is like, fie on your rules. And uh, not only am I, am I bringing Bucky back, but I'm going to make him this rad Cold War assassin with long brown hair and a metal arm and a domino mask. Uh, you know, and then I'm going to make him Captain America. 
Uh, and it ends up being probably the all-time best run on Captain America, inspires the best Marvel Studios movie, and yep. launches one of the great ships of our time, Stucky. He, he broke Cardinal Sin brilliantly. Made, you know, this character... Really, we didn't really know much about Bucky. It's like the most, you know important thing that he ever did in his life was die just yeah. like Uncle Ben yeah. yeah I mean he was effectively just Robin you know yeah. and you didn't Cap didn't need a Robin because yeah. he had the Falcon mm-hmm. you know was the best Cap sidekick but uh, this character becomes such a fan favorite and, mm-hmm. you know it, it, it's fascinating this is you know the one case of you know damn they did it right and, you know <laughs> yeah it, it's funny I'm gonna segue into my honorable mention mm-hmm. right here because at the exact same time, in one of those weird Armageddon Deep Impact synchronicity moments, DC was bringing back Jason Todd, mm-hmm. who, again, you don't think about it, but I went back and I reread some 90s and early aughts Batman, and the death of Jason Todd hung over Batman immensely during that period. Well, it's because he had all those that bill with all those 900 calls on it. <laughs> <laughs> and Jason... People paid money to kill Jason Todd. Oh, they did. They <laughs> did. Because Jason was a punk. And I think that the punk Jason created by... I believe it was crime writer Max Allen Collins who created that post-crisis version was a much more interesting character than the initially created Jason Todd, who was a Dick Grayson knockoff. Mm -hmm. His parents were circus acrobats, for (laughs) God's sake. Only his parents were killed by Killer Croc, not by random Tony Zuko mobster. But Jason's resurrection was not handled as well. The Superboy punching the walls of the universe (laughs) to bring Jason back is is, a punchline. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, that was not the intention that Jeff Johns had for Infinite Crisis. He had a completely different way to resurrect Jason, that the reason Jason was back. The, Jason was supposed to be the Earth 3 Jason, who was raised by Deathstroke, not by Batman. That's the world where all the heroes are villains, right? Yes. Okay. That is the, the crime syndicate. Your, your Owl Man, Ultraman, okay. Superwoman, mm-hmm. etc. And Johns talks about this in the back matter to the collection of Infinite Crisis. But somewhere along the way, they did an Infinite Crisis secret files where they established the universe punching. And so that became the resurrection of Jason Todd. Which has been changed in the New 52 Rebirth, where it's just been established that it was Talia, that she put Jason into Lazarus Pit. That makes a lot more sense. I would actually argue, you know, you mentioned the Jason Todd Bucky thing kind of being a deep impact Armageddon. Uh, I, I kind of argue that it's, it's more like Infinite Crisis House of M. That same, mm. like, ridiculous logic they could use to excuse plot points, like there being a blob of energy in space with the mind of Zorn. Oh. And also, Hawkeye just randomly kind of comes back to life. <laughs> the, the, what I like to call the, hey, look, what's that? Oh, hey, see, this character is back. <laughs> Way of resurrection. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, but, Rob, it is most definitely your turn. I'm going to actually go back to the X-Men. And 
I'm like, I don't want to say I'm going to get too obscure here, but this is going to be kind of a, a, a heartfelt one. Um, you talk about, you know, the most important things that some characters do is die, and the most inappropriate thing that you can do is bring them back because it does something that was meaningful or, you know, cipher. Let's talk about Doug Ramsey. Um, his original death uh, in The New Mutants it was, I thought, a major milestone. I mean, for a character, I don't think anybody really cared about, but he was easy to identify with. This is somebody who did not have any kind of flashy power. Basically, if you came across some kind of, like, Cree text, he was your guy. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, he really had nothing that, you know, would, no, no kind of defense in, in, in a fight. I mean, and here you had the New Mutants who were, basically, they were students. Sometimes they would pretend that they were X-Men, but really, I mean, inexperienced kids. And when they kind of struck out on their own to pretend that they were superheroes and here to fight against, like... <laughs> The most Z-list of Z-list villains is the animator. Yes. And, you, you know, you've got poor Doug, who is defending Rain, is, unbeknownst to his teammates, shot dead. And it's one of the most haunting panels. I mean, it's, I, I, I read it, I was maybe eight or nine when I read that issue when it came out. And to this day, I mean, it's up there with Gwen Stacy and The Snap is the panel where he's actually you know, completely out of earshot from her begging, you know, Rain, please don't be mad at me. And his head just goes down as he as he passes away. And then later, after the fight, the team looks for him and they find him dead. And there's a complete breakdown. And it changes that team. That's really... A lot of people will cite that the end of Innocence with that team was when Cable came on board. It wasn't. It was no. when Doug died. And they really struck out on their own. I mean, that left a scar actually in the entire X-Men line that, you know, Xavier wasn't there to save him. Mm -hmm. Magneto, who had promised Xavier that he was going to take care of them, was unable to do this. And you have that heartbreaking issue where Magneto has to tell the Ramses about their son's death. Is that the same issue where Warlock tries to reanimate him? It is. Oh. And it's sad because Warlock doesn't understand... The concept of death. The death process, yes. It's... <laughs> I mean, this is really underrated stuff. I mean, going back to I mean, this 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 is classic stuff. And to be honest, I mean, I'm I'm a little ignorant of like what happened in the '90s. I know there was a Doug Lock that was on Excalibur. I mean, I, was that a I I read Excalibur during that era, and I don't think I have a handle on why it yeah. existed. So it was linked to the Phalanx, and yeah, okay. so it was never really Doug. I think it was really more. Warlock, okay, so who had imprinted some of Doug, and then when the Phalanx showed up, it somehow reanimated him. But he was more Warlock than he was Doug. Okay, yeah, so that was back during that period when, like, they planned these events and they tried to lay the Claremont seeds, but it wasn't quite as uh, cohesive. But it was the era when I came up reading, so you know, teenage me thought it was the best, even though I totally didn't get it. <laughs> All right, so I'm kind of glad. Okay, so it actually makes my next point more poignant because that technically wasn't. Fast forward, you know, you have the whole Utopia era, which mm -hmm. and some people are going to think back fondly. I think it's going to be largely forgotten, you know, and, and, and undone, you know, by the current continuity. I think if you're a younger reader in your 20s, like I know a lot of people actually came up through the Utopia era that post. Uh, House of M, uh, Jason Aaron, Wolverine, and the X-Men, like, schism, period. And they have a fondness for a lot of those, like, 
kid characters that came up around that time. You know, your Bruce and your your oh, sure, gladiators sure, yeah. and what have you. Glad Herman. <laughs> yes. But you, you know, you have that, that 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 utopia, and one of the things that I love is you had that togetherness. You had that unity of all the X characters under the same house, and then you have the original New Mutants team mm-hmm. finally reunited. They're wearing their original uniforms, and they're X Men now, and they're happily united. And then you have Necrotia, and out of nowhere comes Doug. And again, it's just like that scar opens up, just that reaction to seeing, you know, their old friend dead. And this is also a case where, I mean, sometimes, you know, I'm not going to compare this to Bucky because, I mean, that is the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is a good bronze. Yeah. The way that you bring a character back. And, you know, full credit to Zeb Wells where, you know, not only did he make this, you know, horrific and heartbreaking, but he brilliantly, you know, reinterpreted Doug's abilities where it wasn't just that he could interpret languages but he could actually interpret you know body you know body movement and you know body actions and things like that and if somebody was about to physically attack him he could actually interpret what they were going to do before they were going to do it it's kind of like that sherlock those like guy Ritchie sherlock holmes movies where uh, robert downey jr can kind of interpret Mm -hmm. what the guy's next move is going to be it's what cassandra kane has been doing since her first appearance that is cassandra kane shtick that she was not taught to speak she was not taught, verb, taught verbal language because she was trained to purely understand the language of the body. And one of the cool things that Kelly Puckett did... In, I'm fluent in fights. Yeah, pretty <laughs> I much. I want to go back for... Uh, Frank Herbert even established some of that in Dune where, with battle language and there were subtle battle clues and, and you know, yes. things that you could do with the body that, you know... But, uh... I mean, from there, I mean, we had this great reunion or eventually, you know, Doug does kind of revert back mm-hmm. and he joins the team and they have a couple great adventures and then you have the whole schism, you know, or the, the Avengers versus yeah. the X-Men and the schism and everything. And then Doug, you know, popped up an X-Factor in Limbo, basically. And then more recently, um, the Daredevil miniseries where they were searching for Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Oh, or, yeah, yeah. What was that? Adamantium Agenda? Soul of a Killer? He's got the thick beard and he's a junkie. He actually has... Somebody his... sliced his throat. Yeah, he yeah. is alive still. Uh, you know, apparently he's going to be back with the X-Men. He was also used in Charles Soule's last run on Daredevil. Oh. Where he was brought in as part of a team that Matt Murdock put together to take out the Kingpin. And oh. As mayor of New York. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was... Doug and a couple of Inhuman characters that Soul had introduced uh, in his Inhumans nice. run. And since he wrote the Adamantium Agenda, mm-hmm. he was kind of doing all these characters that had quirky, non-combat like abilities. Because yeah. Doug was being used as sort of a hacker to try to read the computer language to find mm-hmm. out how Fisk had fixed the election. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating. And I kind of liked what Soul did with Doug there. I wonder if he has a little bit of that same nostalgia that like I had for this character. I mean, again, not a great character, but one you could really identify with. I mean, you want to talk about you know one of the symbols of unrequited love in the eighties. I mean, first there was Psylocke, which oh, was her yeah. first American appearance. I mean, it was love at first sight, where she even kind of questioned her feelings for him, and then later it was Rain, which was you know heartbreaking yeah. and ultimately fatal. Now the last time that we got together and we mentioned um, Peter David and his. Uh, annual backups and actually if you, i remember uh matt you even mentioned you know there was the great uh tribute the second where rain visits doug's grave and you actually see him as a spirit and you know kind of you know gets to see her at what we thought would be mm-hmm. one last time 
So that that's really my only serious one I'll throw out, you know. But, <laughs> so there's that. Okay, so we're back to me. Yeah. And this is my really goofy, crazy comic book nonsense death. <laughs> and this is one that's pretty much forgotten now because it was a long time ago and it was never like a universe arcing plot, mm -hmm. which nowadays it absolutely would be because it's dealing with one of the foundational characters of the DC universe. Mm -hmm. And this is the death of Lex Luthor. For those of you who weren't reading Superman in the 80s around the time that John Byrne rebooted the character in Crisis on Infinite Earths, Lex Luthor was reinvented not as the mad scientist that he had been throughout the Silver Age, but as this corporate raider who was inspired by various, you know, Wall Street types in the 80s. And while Luthor still was this scientist, that was played much less than the businessman angle. And one of the things that they did early on was Luthor got some kryptonite and made a ring out of it. So Superman could never get too close to him. What Luthor didn't think about was, yes, kryptonite radiation is in nearly instantly fatal to Kryptonians. It's still radioactive. And walking around with a radioactive rock on your hand, it's not going to end well for your health. So... They did a plot where Luthor turned out, oh, I've got bone cancer from walking around with a <laughs> kryptonite ring on my hand. And he got his hand removed and had a cyborg hand, and that didn't help because the cancer was in his bones. And so in an issue of Action Comics, right after the uh, Crisis of Crimson Kryptonite, which was the Superman number 50 anniversary story that Lois and Clark got engaged in Luthor decides to go and fly a plane that he had designed and do the maiden voyage of this plane and the plane crashes and Lex Luthor is dead it's a very Howard Hughes uh... Hughes I think was part of the inspiration there mm -hmm. uh, the primary inspiration was actually a corporate raider who would someday go into politics but we won't discuss that because that would be discussing politics <laughs> and we try not to do that comics are very apolitical oh, i don't know if you knew that absolutely. they've always been yeah really. <laughs> um but so lex luthor superman's greatest nemesis arguably the second greatest villain in the dc universe Definitely one of the top three with Joker, Luthor, and Darkseid is dead. And so Superman now doesn't have an arch enemy. And after a little while, and I forgot to write down the issue number for this, we find out that Luthor has a son. He had had an affair, and this son had been living in Australia, and he was this tall, burly Red hair, big beard, Lex Luthor Jr. And he was charming and he was a nice guy. And he comes to Metropolis and takes over his father's company. And then we start seeing weird hints. Like at the end of one issue, he sits down in his chair and he's smoking this big cigar in a pose that is very much like his father's. And it's like, wait, there's something weird going on here. And then... 
shortly before the death of Superman, there's an issue of Action Comics with one of the best titles in comics. They named the whole trade of this after this one comic. They saved Luthor's brain. <laughs> because what we find out is that Lex, knowing he was dying, and being one of those guys like Batman who always has a contingency plan, uh, got in touch with Dabney Donovan, who you Kirby fans might know as one of the guys behind Project Cadmus, the rogue, the rogue of Cadmus, this sort of mad geneticist, to clone him. And after that plane crash where he quote-unquote died... They literally took his brain and put it into the cloned body. So, because brain transplants clearly work in the DC Universe, Lex Luthor was back and alive and in a healthy, young clone of himself. And so, you know, he's around for a while, like, guess what? He's alive, and then he gets a weird clone disease, and his body starts to fall apart, and then he eventually sells his soul to the devil to get his youth and vigor back, and... Yeah, like Cameron Hodge. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he was one of the main villains in Underworld Unleashed, one of Neuron's council, and that was his wish. Uh, Cersei got more magic, and Doctor Polaris got rid of his, you know, good personality, and Abracadabra got real magic, and the Joker got a box of Cuban cigars. Because uh, you know, let's be completely fair, the Joker's soul is probably not worth even that when you're <laughs> trying to you know sell your souls to the devil. Because Joker's going there one way or the other. But there's so much comic book nonsense in this fake death and the sun and the saving of his brain and the clone plague <laughs> and the selling his soul to the devil for his renewed youth to get him back to where he is. And it is not the first or last time that Luthor will be kind of dead and kind of not. But it was just so much delightful comic book nonsense and has been sort of forgotten I remember reading that issue where Luthor died. And I started reading Superman comics with the Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite. Because it was this great cover. The first part of that story in Superman 49 with Luthor taking this hunk of red kryptonite and smashing Superman. And Superman going down. And it's a cover that grabs your attention on the newsstands. And I'd been reading Superman for two months. And then they killed Lex Luthor. And, I mean, I knew Luthor from the Super Friends and other things. I mean, he was the Superman villain. It's like, what are they going to do now? I mean, who's he going to fight? Metallo? <laughs> Mix his yeah. Oh, so much Mix his Blake. <laughs> but, yes, they saved Luthor's brain. <laughs> um, okay, so for my third, uh, I stole this one from Rob. Uh, he gave it to me last weekend as a gift. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, Mind is not a singular character, but an entire line. Uh, Valiant Comics! Hey. <laughs> uh, basically, in the 90s, Valiant got bought out by uh, Acclaim Entertainment, uh, and then Acclaim went bankrupt, and the line disappeared. Uh, then in 2012, uh, Dinesh Samdasani, Jason Kothari uh, relaunched Valiant and uh, restored characters like Exo Manowar and Bloodshot, Ninjak, uh, Quantum and Woody uh, back to the public consciousness. Brothers Anapata. Don't forget the Brothers Anapata. Cannot forget them. You wouldn't let me. Uh, <laughs> guys, go back and listen to our Fred Van Lenti episode. Uh, then last year, Valiant gets bought out by DMG Entertainment, a uh, Chinese-led entertainment company that basically wants the IP for transmedia opportunities, which, you know, good for them. Uh, you know, and that kind of shuffles off 
there's been since then there's been a lot of sort of churn of of upper management and the team that kind of resurrected the company uh a very very comics positive group uh you know has, has kind of gone away which is sad but i will say I, you know i do think valiant is still doing some very interesting stuff they're working with very uh up-and-coming creators that are that are are doing interesting things you know it's not just sort of resurrecting the same titles although I think there's a new Bloodshot coming in uh, September, and they're relaunching X Man X O Man War. But you got to kind of keep those. Those are their two the ten pool ten pole books. It's interesting you said ten pool, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean we're getting a Bloodshot movie uh, next year. We're getting like an official handbook, apparently. You know that yeah. any imprint you know, or any you know line that has you know their own official handbook has made it. They've got a universe, you know. Ab- absolutely. You know, and, and we've been fortunate enough to have a number of, of Valiant creators on the show over the past year, like Fred Van Lancey, which I just mentioned, Elliot Rahal, Joe Eisma. Uh, and yeah, last I heard, the Russo brothers were looking to produce a Quantum and Woody TV show, which that would that would be pretty awesome. You know, uh, lest we forget, the Russo brothers directed some of the best episodes of Community and also Yumi and Dupree. <laughs> And now they make millions of dollars. Some <laughs> truck full of money. money. God, yeah. So uh, Valiant's really had the full behind the music arc, if you think about yeah. it. <laughs> uh, Valiant is fascinating because if you were around in the 90s when Valiant first came out, it was the hot property. Those low print runs on those early books made those early Valiant's Especially the stuff that they don't have the rights to anymore because they lost the license. Oh, the gold key properties. The gold key properties for Solar and Magnus. Those were big ticket books. And then their chromium covers. They're Uh the guys who invented the chromium cover. (laughs) Bloodshot number one. Turok number one. There's another one that they don't have anymore. Yeah. But they they were the number three publisher. And then Image became number three. And they were number four. They were for a quite a few probably five six years they were a major force i seem misremembering this didn't at one point around that time you know in the early 90s didn't they have the nintendo license didn't they yes have the they did they published super mario comics and that yes. was another thing where the print one was so low that those books which i used to have yeah. as a 10 year old because it came out at the right time like i think those are worth some money now yeah I, and there's nowadays that is most of that stuff is dollar bin fodder. Mm-hmm. I've gotten complete runs of Eternal Warrior and uh, Archer and Armstrong mostly for a dollar. Like the only issue I paid more for was an Eternal Warrior that had the first Bloodshot. That cost me a five bucks, and that I mean that was before movie announcements, but still mm-hmm. that was a little more. And then the first Bloodshot that had Ninjak cost me a few bucks too. But most of that is pretty easily found. And there were some really great creators on some of those books. Barry Windsor Smith, who created Archer and Armstrong and who did the early Solars. Magnus, yeah. In Magnus too. Um, uh, Bart Sears. Uh, Ninjak was some of Joe Casada's first work. Wow. Uh, the early Ninjaks. Well, Valiant was started by Jim Shooter. Yeah, Shooter. So, I mean, that's not surprising. That's very true. There's a lot of really interesting... Christopher Priest created Quantum and Woody. Yep. Uh, Who I met yesterday, by the way. Really great guy. Oh, cool. was at the uh, Great Philly uh, Comic Con, which I, re- I recommend to all you guys out there if you're in the area. Uh, Sean Chen 
was did early Valiant work. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Ostrander did a uh, decent sized run on Magnus and Rye. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's other like main names. The Acclaim era had some interesting names. Warren Ellis doing Solar, Ooh. Garth Ennis on Shadow Man. Uh, there's other stuff. I mean, I've gotten bought a lot of just random Valiant mm. over the years just for the heck of it. And there's some just really interesting stuff where it's like, huh, that creator on that book before that creator was insert name here. Uh-huh. And also you got to mention, you know, with Valiant, I mean, I think they had, you know, a bona fide crossover hit with uh, Faith, Zephyr. Oh, yeah, became, uh, absolutely. You know, definitely, you know, sort of an iconic, you know, hero. Uh, Jody Hauser's Faith, if you've never read it, is a delight. It's a a fanboy, fangirl's dream because she is the biggest fangirl in the world <laughs> and she has superpowers and she gets to be a superhero and drops pop culture references every which way but loose. One of the most delightful comics I've read in the past five years is when she brings her boyfriend, Archer of Archer and Armstrong, to his first comic convention. <laughs> and Archer, who has zero pop culture awareness as he was ra- raised by a crazy right-wing cult, it's it's just delightful. It's unabashedly joyful. Yes. Yeah, it, it definitely yes. fills that niche with comics. You know, I think we need more of that. Yeah. No argument here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was also a big fan of the last volume of Quantum and Woody, which uh, the first half of which was written by Daniel Kibblesmith with art by Kano, and then uh, the back half was by uh, Elliot Rahal, and I think uh, oh, and uh, Joe Eisman did a bunch of those issues. That was a lot of fun. Quantum and Woody in general is just fun. Yeah, they are the world's worst superhero team. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, Rob, I believe. Uh, I, I guess to finish it up, uh, I, I promised I was going to talk shit. I don't know. <laughs> it, it depends on what your opinion of shit is, but uh, this this actually kind of falls on the line of sublime to me. <laughs> you know, you, you talk about you know characters that die and they're resurrected, you know, long after and everything. This is a case of a character who you know was intended, you know, in this story to die and be immediately resurrected in, in the most glorious way. Come on, guys, Frank and Castle. <laughs> 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 Everything that can be said about the Punisher, which you would assume could be said, has been at this point. I mean, he's taken on the mob, you know, he's done this, he's done that. We've got dead kids, we've got dead drug dealers, you know. It's a guy with a death's head with guns. I mean, how much can you do with that? You put him in space. (laughs) You kill the motherfucker and you bring him back like Frankenstein from the Legion of Monsters. I mean, come on. You make a film called Warzone, which was absolutely like over he takes out, you know, parkour idiots with, <laughs> with heat-seeking missiles. I mean, come on. The character really is kind of a parody, I think, that people took way too seriously until, like, relatively recently. And I think that he really needed that, you know? I, I love the Frankencastle. I mean, I know a lot of people are going to roll their eyes at it and everything. I think, I think the people who do take him too seriously. But it really was a great little story. It was, it was a nice nod. I mean, if you grew up on the horror books of the 70s that you know marvel put out mm-hmm. it, was, it was definitely like a nice nod to that and just a lot of fun and i don't know when you said resurrections i mean that was the first one i thought i was like oh god frankencastle <laughs> he's um he's involved in war of the realms right now oh, of we, course he would 
Yeah, it's pretty great, though, because apparently one of the tie-ins is him just going after, like, Asgardian creatures. And actually, if you want to count, like, a second resurrection, I mean, the whole Cosmic Ghost Rider, I mean, again, the only way, the only thing you can do with Castle anymore is just go more absurd with him. I mean, he's got to be a Herald of Galactus next, I'm sure, you know. Well, isn't he as the Cosmic Ghost Rider? Oh, he is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He started out he's got, as a... he's oh, got the I, power I, Cosmic. I walked right into that unawares. <laughs> Yeah, he's got the spirit of vengeance and the power cosmic. Oh. And a whole bunch of cool guns. <laughs> he kind of looks like under the helmet, though. Like, he looks a little bit like Vengeance. You guys remember Vengeance, oh, right? Oh, God, yes. The Venom of Ghost Riders. Oh, that was like one of the Midnight Suns. Yes. Oh, well, not, yeah. <laughs> so let me wrap up with my sort of heart-touching one of these. Mm-hmm. Your, your Doug Ramsey. My Doug Ramsey. Because, again, comic book deaths are often forgotten because they come and go so quickly. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a death is part of a story. And that death isn't meant to last. But can be handled in a way that makes for an important point about a character or tells a good story. And one of those is the death of Benjamin J. Grimm, the ever-loving blue-eyed thing, during Mark Wade's run on Fantastic Four. Uh, Wade did a story where Doctor Doom decides to go full mage to defeat Reed Richards. No more of this science. Let's do some magic. And in the end, Doom winds up getting trapped in hell, but scars Reed badly. And Reed then decides that, okay, well, things are looking bad, and with Doom out of the way, Latveria is going to be in trouble, so let me go to Latveria and basically stage a coup d'etat and take over Latveria and make sure nobody gets their hands on Doom's devices And in the process of doing this, Reed then decides, well, the best thing to do is to trap the spirit of doom in a sort of a Roboros dimension where it's the snake eating its own tail and doom and Reed would be trapped in there together forever. And the Fantastic Four shows up and finds a way into the dimension to try to get Reed out. And doom starts body hopping like that Denzel Washington movie Fallen (laughs) and in the end winds up in Ben's body. And Ben, you know, you know, pulls a classic, kill me! And Reed has to kill him. And so now the Fantastic Four, they're, they're separated, they're broken up. And Reed decides that the best thing to do is to raid the gates of heaven to save his best friend. And so we get a three-part story drawn by Michael Ringo, who was Wade's partner on most of this run. That previous run, the Reed and Latveria run, was Howard Porter. Um, But this three-issue run, Reed and Johnny and Sue use the device that Doom created that scarred his face all those years ago. That he was trying to, you know, contact Hell to save his mother. Reed fixes it, gets to actually work, and they go to heaven. And there's these obstacles along the way, while 
Ben is at the gates of heaven and can't get in because something is keeping him from there with his dead brother, the spirit of his brother, which is something I didn't know existed before this run. It's a John Byrne thing. Okay. Um, it was part of the Thing series that Byrne wrote back in the day. And in the end, the FF gets to the Thing, who's he's just Ben at this point because it's his soul. And there's a lot of heart-to-heart. There's a lot of Johnny dealing with Ben's death and dealing with the fact that he blames Reed and is afraid that Reed is going to get him killed too. There's Reed processing Ben's death and Ben wanting to just go to heaven. Not, you know, not a death wish thing, but uh, I've lived a good life. I've got my reward waiting for me. So you guys got to let me go. And in the end, they sort of, they do enough of the right thing that the gates of heaven open and they're given an audience with God. Or the one above all, as Marvel calls him, or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call him. And when they enter heaven, they see heaven is an artist's studio and God is Jack Kirby. And Kirby just talks to them about fate about you know free will and choice and that the greatest invention that man ever had was the pencil because you can create and you can fix your mistakes and he uses the eraser of his pencil to clear the scars from reed's face and takes the pencil and tells ben that his story isn't over yet and draws the thing around ben and makes him the thing again, and then sends them on their way back home. And it's a really beautiful moment. It's as much of a tribute to Kirby and the power of his creation as it is a story about the Fantastic Four. It's a beautiful book. Warengo's art is at its top. And it was originally going to be the last arc of Wayne Warengo on that book. And there was such backlash against the idea of them leaving the book when they didn't want to go that public opinion got them an additional between 15 and 20 issues, I think, on the title. While the following arc, or the following creative team became uh, Marvel Knights 4 from uh, Robert Aguirre-Sacasa and uh steve mcniven uh so it is also the resurrection of wade moringo's run on the ff the second time wade's runs on a marvel book were resurrected uh the first being him and garney's run on captain america which was also brought back by popular demand uh i really you know jack kirby as god i I really don't think that there is a better way to to end this episode, uh, reason for the season, and and all that. So uh, hey, real quick, yeah. Quick question for you guys. Okay. Are there any characters that you ah. think should be resurrected? Calling dibs on Donald Lobster right now. You hear that, Hickman? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Well, okay. Well, hold on. touching on that real quick. I don't know if you've seen the prom- promotional. Bill, art. I know Bill the Lobster. Yes. yes. Uh, although I don't know, part of me thinks that's just a tease uh, for for those nerds who were nervous about Hickman. You know. Because they're so like deep into their sort of minutia of of X lore, 
But uh, yes, Don the Lobster. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I'm trying to sit back and think who's dead right now. Because... At any given time. <laughs> right. I mean, I want... We haven't gotten the last issues of Heroes in Crisis yet. So I don't know if Wally West is really dead or not. Or where that's going to go. Yeah. Because... I, I, you just gave me my Wally back. Please don't kill him again. <laughs> I, I don't really think I have a character that I would want to resurrect. You know, uh, if anything, I'd rather bring back, you know, give, give me Kirby back. Give me back the king. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I got. Will you settle for a turn of century? Yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, this is this wraps another successful Three Amigos episode. Uh, join us back in a couple of months for our summer special, uh, where we celebrate the independence of uh, one or possibly two countries. A, which I may or may not bring up Alpha Flight. <laughs> uh, it's a foregone conclusion, guys. <laughs> Bye for now. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes and the ability to promote your work on our site, and $2 gets you a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our first and foremost patron, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the MNT. Uh, you can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next time. That's a magic number.